It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Matt Harrison, co-founder, chief executive officer, and a member of the board of directors of WellAware Holdings based in San Antonio, Texas. Prior to founding WellAware, Matt was the general manager of Texas Instruments Medical Business Unit, where he was responsible for overall direction, growth strategy promotion, and execution of the business plan. Matt currently serves as the chairman of the board of Pine Cove Christian Camps, which serves more than 2,000 college counselors and 45,000 campers every year. Matt holds a BS of Science degree from Texas A&M University, and he and his wife and best friend Julie live, work, and play in Bourne, Texas, and stay busy with their two daughters, Lana and Haley. Matt Harrison, welcome into the corner office. Brad, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. This is great to have you on, and we're both sequestered in our homes. Uh, this will, of course, be listened to a little bit later, but I've been in six weeks. Matt, how long have you been uh, get going stir-crazy? <laughs> Probably right about the same about amount the of time. time. Yeah, <laughs> I think March 6th was uh, when we started our... Uh, sequester program right. here. So yeah, yeah same, the same, same day. Time. Same yep. date. Well, let's hope by the time this release, we'll be uh, starting the economy back up again. But uh, for all those that are listening, uh, we hope that you enjoy this podcast as well. And Matt, we always start with the early years and, you know, want to hear a little bit about uh, kind of where you grow up and, you know, what your early family life was like. You bet. Yeah. Uh, well, I was very blessed to be raised by two parents uh, who loved me a lot. Um, mm. We're very much a middle class family. Grew up in El Paso, Texas, okay. uh, desert southwest. And yeah. uh, my dad was in sales and my mom was an x-ray technician when she wasn't a stay-at-home mom. That came uh -huh. in handy for the two boys because we had uh, a number a of broken bones. Yeah, a number of broken <laughs> bones. So absolutely. Yep. Oh, that's great. And um, uh, dad, what was his work? Yeah, my dad was actually in sales. So he okay. started out in selling film for x-ray right. machines. And then obviously, oh. as that went digital, uh, right. it became more around uh, digital cameras and imaging technology. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then mom worked outside of the home while you were growing up or took some time off while the kids were young? Yeah, she she started out as stay-at-home mom with my brother and I. I've got a brother that's yeah. a, a fireman still in El Paso. Oh, cool. He's got three boys and uh, actually lives in the home that we grew up in, which is pretty cool. Uh, but my mom stayed home with us for a little while. And then yeah. when we went into school, she became an x-ray technician again right. herself. 
Now, your dad was sales in that area, so I sense a connection there. Did did he meet her while she was doing that in the early days, or did she get into that business because he was in it at the time when she went back to work? They actually they actually met in uh, in <laughs> Dallas <both. laughs> at, at Parkland X-ray School. So they no they were both X-ray wow. technicians. Yeah, that's, that's how cool. they came out. Yeah, awesome. Tell me about some of the earliest memories you've had from mom and dad. You know, things that may might have inspired you, or uh, maybe things that they said or did that really kind of helped you set your course. Great question. And you know, I, I think when I think about my dad, um, you know, beyond just being an incredible salesman, mm-hmm. uh, I always just remember his success and in, in sales and and his you know. Um, really work ethic that went into that and just being in front of customers, his territory being in El Paso was Eastern New Mexico and West Texas. And if you can get your arms around that, that's a lot of territory. So he was gone a lot, but he was always in front of customers. He was very successful selling. And uh, I think a lot of that uh, really just pointed back to the type of person he was. So really the, the, the thing I remember the most impressionably you know, from, from my dad was, um, you know, just his heart, you know, a lot of times we mm. would pass people on the road, uh, they were broken down for whatever reason. Mm. And my dad was the guy that would stop uh. and, uh, find out, Hey, you know, what's going on? Yeah. Can I help you change a tire? You nice. Know, what's going on? And, and it's funny because I, I try to do a little bit of that myself. I, I, I'm not a, a NASCAR pit crew guy, but uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I've got all the, you got the tools. Your, you got your AAA card there, though. I right? got all the tools, and <laughs> and you know, if I can pull over and 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 help somebody along the way, I still try to do that myself. My yeah. mom, yeah, just uh, talk about somebody that just has a humongous heart, and mm. you know, she is the selfless giver um, of the family, and so mm. uh, was always serving. Um, my dad and my brother and I in any capacity. And, you know, that, that kind of came back to, to haunt me a little bit mm. when I got married and my wife figured out I didn't know how to do laundry. So, um, there's a, <laughs> or cook or clean, or cook or clean. Exactly. So some of these things have, uh, have a double-edged sword. They do indeed. Oh, no, that's great. And are both mom and dad still working today? No, they're both retired. Both retired. Um, yeah. they live in New Mexico and, okay. and, um, retired up on a, one of the few lakes that are in New Mexico, okay. but yes, right. they, right. they are doing well. And we, uh, we really, uh, enjoy the time that we do get to see. Yeah. So beautiful area there and big, big sky. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but the only time I've ever been through El Paso was when my family and I, my, my wife and daughter decided to drive from Santa Barbara, California to Oklahoma city, Oklahoma to be there for the 4th of July. And I'll never forget passing through El Paso and realizing we were only halfway there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Still had another half of the journey to go for. So yeah. uh, everything's big in Texas, right? Everything's big in Texas. It's a big state for sure. <laughs> so tell me about when, when, you know, we're both members of C12. And for those of you that are listening, don't know that C12 is a is a CEO advisory with a twist. We are a peer advisory group of Christian business owners globally. I think we're something like 26, 2700 strong, another 100, 125 groups. I'm up in the Connecticut area. And I know that uh, Matt's connected down in the San Antonio area. Um, so, so we do have a, also a common connection through Christ. And tell me a little bit about what role he played in your upbringing. Yeah. Well, I, look, I, hopefully at the end of the day and every day, I'm just a little bit more like Christ. I've got mm. a long way to go, but that's a good goal. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, um, it's such a blessing to have a different perspective, uh, that shapes my worldview. And, mm. um, you know, 
at the end of the day, it, it's really just about uh, loving, loving my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and thanking him for doing uh, the thing that I couldn't do, which is getting me right with the Lord, and then sharing that love with others and, and just trying to love others in the very unconditional way that he's loved me. And I'll tell you what, that's, you know, building companies is hard. That's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you have been, some modeling with mom chip. and dad? Did, did you grow up in the church? And was that an important part of your upbringing or did that come later in life? No, we did. Uh, you know, we, we grew up in, in church and I got involved in, in some youth groups. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13. Hmm. Uh, probably like many uh, that, that experienced their salvation as a journey, I, I became... Uh, you know, much, much more focused in my faith and my faith journey in college. And so yeah. I, I mm -hmm. had the benefit of uh, being a, a member of a Christian fraternity in, oh. uh, at A&M. And right. uh, really, it's the iron sharpens iron concept. Yeah. I, was, I was really pulled up by some peers that were uh, part of that fraternity that I, would, that I joined. And, and Brant, like you were just saying with C12, I've tried to continue that in my life. Mm. One of my goals is to surround people, uh, surround myself with people who are, you know, at different levels than I am. Right. And typically those are higher than I am, whether they be in, you know, the, their spiritual journeys or their yeah, that's uh, how intellectual journeys, et cetera. But <laughs> for me, it's a pretty easy job. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the bar is low here. And so, uh -huh. but I've been very blessed to, to be uh, surrounded by friends and family members and colleagues awesome. um, who continue to try to, to, to pull me up. And, and so, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time um, really growing in my faith in college mm. And then was very, very blessed to have met my wife in at school there at A&M. And uh, she's yeah. such a strong believer. And so yeah. uh, the two of us have really continued that journey together um, over the course of now 22 years yeah. of marriage. And, and she, awesome. I would say, is uh, probably one of the biggest motivators for me to try to continue to, to grow in my faith. Glad to hear it. Back to the early childhood, any other, you know, really inspirational people? Do you remember a special coach or a teacher or, you know, anyone that uh, maybe, uh, maybe a, a youth leader that had an impression on you? And if so, in what way? Great question. I, I played a lot of tennis uh, mm. growing up and, and, you know, looking back, I, I think I know why I, my, my number one strength, if you do these strength tests is competition. And so, oh, yeah. um, being an individual sport, tennis right. was my spot. And so yeah, I, yeah. I, there was no one else I could blame it on. I did have a coach in El Paso, uh, an amazing man named Ross Walker. He, uh, is still alive today. He was mm. actually one, he won junior Wimbledon. So he's, he's a, um, he's an English man that, uh, that came over to the mm. U S but Ross has taught me, uh, you know, what work ethic looks like. Um, he, he taught me how to be humble, um, how to try to get control of my temper, although having red hair and just the DNA and genetics around that makes that a little bit more difficult. Uh, <laughs> but, but Ross did a pretty good job um, helping me not to be too much of a mental case out, <laughs> out on the court. And so uh, I really appreciated that. You know, just Did you play college into ten uh, t tennis into college? I didn't. Yeah. Um, I, I had cool. a couple opportunities to yeah. play at some different schools. But I decided I wanted to go to Texas A&M right. and obviously A&M had, um, you know, 
a very competitive tennis program. So I right. walked on right. there for a little bit, oh. uh, and uh, but I walked off probably just a bit fast. <laughs> and uh, when I realized I wanted to pursue electrical engineering and uh, and I had to have all my coursework done by 12 and we'd be traveling like we were going to travel, um, that was going to be a very difficult load. Yeah. Well, we both have daughters that are athletes, so we know uh, what it takes to be successful in that. And I, I know I could never match hers. I, I kind of, I did the same thing. I was a pole vaulter in high school and I went to Oregon. Of course, back then, you know, it was Tracktown USA. Now they're more of a football place. But uh, yeah, I walked on pretty quickly after I, I walked off pretty quickly after I walked on. <laughs> to totally agree. Yeah. Totally different deal. And, and when, we look, when we look at our daughters, and I'm sure the, the case is, is true for you as it is for me and and this doesn't just apply to to sports but you know julie and i have really strived to kind of make our ceiling our children's floor and mm -hmm. i've really seen yeah. that play out yeah. not just in sports um with lana my oldest but also you know just in their faith walks and and who god's making them so th yeah. those are it, it's a goal we're trying to hold our family to and yeah and, it's a good uh, principle yeah, love it. What about uh, other things other than sports? Were you involved in music, theater, debate? Were there other things that you liked in school, that kind of high school, middle school period? You know, not, not as much. I, mm -hmm. I hung around with with a lot of really great friends. Um, I'm I'm a, a very very strong people person, and mm. so uh, time that I didn't spend in school or on the tennis court was was spent hanging out with my buddies, and, right, right. Uh, trying to stay out of trouble as much as we possibly could, <laughs> which was which was a lot of fun. What about entrepreneurial things? What did you do for pocket money? Was there the ubiquitous paper router earlier on, or did you work retail? You know, what, what were the kinds of things you did during the summer and, you know, your off time? Yeah, I actually had a couple um, early stage entrepreneurial businesses oh. that, uh, looking back, that's what they are looking, uh, you know, at the time I had no, no idea what I was doing. Right. But I, I, mine was blow pops. So oh, really, yeah. So we would, <laughs> we would go buy bulk blow pops, which I could, <laughs> I, love it. Uh, I could actually get for, uh, six cents a unit back there you in go. the day. Yeah. And, uh, I would sell them for a quarter. And that's so that's great. Wow. Yeah. Good margins. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> did I you repackage them? Still yeah, haven't did been, you, I didn't. I still haven't been able to match individual. those margins. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> can't even get that done in the multi million dollar Wellaware enterprise. Oh but, gosh. uh, but yeah, back, back in the day, I was in the blow pop business. And, I love it. That was popular well, with my friends. I was so. going to say, I'm sure it, it, it provided some good foundations, which we'll hear about later with, with Wellaware. You, you went to Texas A&M. Was that was that your first choice, and, and if so, why uh, why choose there, and, and why electrical engineering? Yeah, so you know, I've I've always been fascinated with the life changing decision that that you make uh, at the the ripe age of seventeen, eighteen years old. Yeah, right. um, and and I'll tell you the thought process process that went into my decision to go to A and M, Brant. It was very straightforward. It was the only school I applied to. And it, I went to A&M because that's where my uncle went. Mm. And my uncle pursued um, a career in uh, electrical engineering. Oh. And so he had gotten degrees in computer science and in electrical engineering. Uh, I always viewed my uncle Will as somebody that was uh, extremely successful yeah. in, in mm -hmm. the workplace, just a yeah. great person. And and so I thought, you know, that's that's what I wanted to go do. I knew I was decent in math and um you know, that was the path that I, that I decided to take and I never looked back. Yeah. Awesome. And what was that first job you took out of college? The first job I took out of college was with Texas Instruments. Mm, TI, yeah. And, you know, I, I found out very early on in my uh, college pursuits that 
I didn't necessarily uh, want to be an engineer. I started out in computer engineering. Uh, that was not for me. I was doing a lot of Fortran programming, oh gosh. which <laughs> oh gosh, that brings back some horrid memories. <laughs> if anyone can can endure that or empathize, I appreciate that. Uh, so I, I actually switched degrees, and I, I switched out of computer engineering mm -hmm. and into electrical. Right, and. Uh, as simple as it sounds, the reason I chose electrical is because I knew there would be an opportunity to have a hard engineering degree, you know, on paper behind sure. me. I knew that would create career opportunities. Right. But it it was also a hard degree. And so I just wanted to challenge myself in, in that sense. And so that's what I did. We we pursued electrical engineering. And um, what I found when I was looking at options coming out of school is I, I ended up having two options. One was uh, that I narrowed it down to. One was to go to work for Texas Instruments up in Dallas mm. in more of a technical sales role. Right. And so now-, now Was that during their heyday? Were, were they, because um, I mean, they were, you know, everybody remembers the TI calculators and, you know, all the stuff early on, or, or were they at that stage, you know, kind of re reprogramming themselves, right? Because they ended up getting purchased stuff, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they're, they're still an independent company today. Are they today. still? Okay. But you're exactly right. They did definitely do a corporate rebrand right. and and really a refocusing down to their core strategy, which ended up being semiconductors. Right, right. Now, was that before you arrived or after? That after was, that transition was just beginning, just when, beginning. I, when, okay. when I joined Texas Instruments. Yeah. And it's funny because everybody recognizes TI as the calculator company. That's right. It, That's right. It, it represents it a, me yeah, Well, no, you're right. But it, I mean, it represents about 5% of the revenue. Yeah, so yeah, right. they are truly, you know, one of the leaders in semiconductors. And um, I had that opportunity to go work in a digital sales, a technical sales mm. role, which, you know, when it was described to me, they said, Matt, look, we look for people who have a technical background, but that can actually communicate with others. Right. And I thought, hey, that's me. And so I was looking at that job. And then I was also looking at a job in Austin with Samsung, mm. which would have been much more yeah. technical, yeah. A, an amazing yeah. company as well. Right. It would have been much more technical in nature. And both of these were were in the, the mid 90s. And right. so, right. Uh, boy, you know, great opportunities both ways. I ended up deciding to go to Texas Instruments. Yeah. But I'll tell you the reason I went there, and this is just back to one of the things I've learned about the, the world moving on the, the rails of relationships. Mm. I came home to my dorm as a senior. I had been applying and interviewing with both TI and Samsung. And I had a voicemail on my answering machine, which we actually had answering machines right. back then. Yeah, yeah. And it was from a guy named Jeff McCreary. Mm. And Jeff was the senior vice president of sales and marketing at TI. And mm. yeah, he just left me a message some, you know, saying, hey, Matt, look, we, we'd love to have you come. And I just remember oh, being imprint. so impacted yeah. by yeah. Jeff McCreary calling me and yeah. leaving me a voicemail saying, hey, you know, come join us. And yeah. it's funny. He actually became one of my mentors um, awesome. at, at TI and just an amazing man. So, Well, you actually left and came back. So we'll get to that in a minute. But um, tell me about leadership. I mean, did they did TI give you leadership responsibilities early on? Absolutely. I, I You know. 
I am so blessed to have worked at Texas Instruments mm. and and great uh, training st- ground. Still, still, some of my best relationships and mentors uh, came through Texas Instruments. And so, um, yeah, just to unpack a little bit of my career opportunity at TI, which I think shaped me a lot. Uh, TI was excellent at training, mm-hmm. as, as you suggested, and yeah. just you know taking us through uh, formal training courses, but maybe even more importantly giving us the opportunity hands-on to go learn. And uh, I was, this was in the late 90s, my first job inside of Texas Instruments was in the wireless business unit. Mm. Mm. So I was actually deployed as a technical sales representative in San Diego, California. Wow, nice. And uh, this is right when the wireless revolution was beginning. Oh, yeah. So I called on this small privately held company called Qualcomm. Qualcomm. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And wow. my job, Brant, at Qualcomm for TI was to sell them chips, wow. which I miserably failed at. So, um, <laughs> in fact, not only that, this is really when I started to learn a lot about who I was and just mm. my DNA because uh, I was drawn more to the entrepreneurial landscape that was that was be- being mm. built in San Diego around wireless. And so, right, right. I ended up sponsoring for TI two investments and an acquisition that we made. And so that sounds interesting until my boss's boss's boss, which again was Jeff McCurry goes, Hey, we got to get Harrison out of there. That guy's selling nothing (laughs) and he's costing us hundreds of millions of dollars. Like get him out of there. And so, um, so yeah, I came back to Dallas, um, after two years and, and that was probably about as long as I could have stayed in San Diego because Julie and I were we were, you know, married without kids. What an incredible place to live. I can um, imagine. We're Texans as, you know, as much as you can be a Texan by birth <laughs> and by family and by generational lineage. But man, our roots were starting to, to, to yeah, grow quickly grow in San there. Diego. Hard not to. I yeah. grew up in San Diego, so I, 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 ah, I know that well. Beautiful. So, beautiful. so you actually left and had your first entrepreneurial um, venture and then came back to TI. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. I did. And um, when I was at TI, the, you know, when I came back to Dallas, uh, I ended up getting the opportunity to, to start um, two different business units. So mm. that was kind of my opportunity to, to cut my teeth in the entrepreneurial world and try and understand a market and, and to find a product that could fit a market solution, uh, recruit a team. Uh, I did that in two businesses for TI. And then one of the the folks that I had worked with in one of those businesses had left Texas Instruments and started their own business mm. and uh, ultimately recruited me to join them. So I, I took three years off from right. TI and yeah. uh, um, in another startup endeavor. And Comica, uh, right? Or Comica? Yes. Comica? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually, it was called Comoca. Comoca. And, Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. <laughs> and, um, you know, names, names mean a lot to the founder. So sure, the founder sure. who recruited me, uh, his family is actually from a tiny little town in Puerto Rico called Mocha, M-O-C-A. Ah, got it, got and it. it was a communication company that yeah. interestingly enough was a little bit ahead of its time. Mm. It, you know, if you've seen the recent Alexa commercial where, you know, the dad pops up watching his daughter cook the burnt duck and, <laughs> right, you know, and she's right. like, dad, you know, he's like, <laughs> you know. 
I need help. And, uh, and my date's almost here. He says, well, what's his name? Sorry, dad. So, you know, she hangs up, but that's, that's the product <laughs> that we had built at really? the time. Yeah. So yeah. it was really targeting, uh, you know, kind of a unified screen, uh, delivery of content. Mm. So we were a little cool. ahead of our time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but the name of the company came from the merging of communications, communications and, and okay. MOGA. Yeah. Exactly. And then what brought you back? Well, it's um, it's interesting. One of the the mentors, and, and frankly, one of my uh, best friends now, is a guy named Doug Razor. And Doug was in charge of all strategy for TI. Mm-hmm. Um, he had said to me when I left, he said, "Matt, you know, if you ever want to come back, the door's open." Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm. you know, that's a really nice thing to say. Yeah. And uh, when you're leaving and you're pursuing this next endeavor. Yeah, not too many people say that in too many companies. I, I well, know that for a fact. <laughs> well, you did, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really expect to take him up on it and, mm-hmm. in all sure. frankness. And um, my journey with Kamoka was an interesting one. Um, I, I was brought in as a quote unquote co-founder, um, uh, COO, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I wasn't on the board. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up being... Um, Gosh, I would just say uh, core value mm. unaligned, unaligned with some of the partners, yeah. yeah. some All of the right. partners, and I didn't, uh, I didn't end up having really a whole lot of influence, Brant. At yeah. the end of the day, and yeah. so I learned a lot. It was early in my career. Um, believe it or not, it had taken me to Las Vegas, Nevada, mm. of all places. Wow. And uh, so Julie and I were living out there. We had one one of our daughters was was three and the next one was going to be born in the next mm. couple months and mm. company was running out of money. Um, I remember walking into Julie on a Friday night and saying, Hey, uh, we're, we're in trouble. You know, company's <laughs> not going to make it long-term location. Huh? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I said, we better think about getting back to Texas or mm. I, I may be dealing blackjack here pretty soon. Oh. <laughs> so, um, believe it or not, the next morning, Saturday morning, we left with both of our cars and our suitcases packed as much as we could put in them. Uh, but we just left our house, wow. left. Yeah. And we, we drove back to Texas. Um, I knew that at some point we wanted to end up in central Texas, which is right. where we now live. So I started looking at buying some companies but uh, or, or finding a way to, to get involved in some more mm. entrepreneurial activities. But we had this little clock ticking in the background, which is our second daughter. Right, right. And yeah. uh, you can't stop that clock. There's no pause on that one. There's no pause, <laughs> and you, you, you also kind of hope it doesn't come soon. So, yeah, that's right. Particularly without a job. Yeah. So, uh, boy, I just tell you, what an endorsement for a company like Texas Instruments. Yeah. So you remember I, that conversation and, and gave the guy a call. I did. I called yeah. Doug yeah. and I said, "Look, hey, you know, here's what's going I'd on. I'd love to come back. Here's what's yeah. going on." He said, "Matt." come to work for us. Yeah. You know, we're, we're starting awesome. a medical business. You'd be great. You know? So literally I started work for Texas Instruments on July 24th. TI sent moving trucks to our house in Las Vegas, packed everything up, moved it, unpacked it for us into our new house in wow. Dallas. I never went back to wow. the house. That's awesome. Our yeah. daughter was born on August 11th. Oh my gosh. And you know, that was kind of uh, pretty close, man. That was kind of pretty close. <laughs> but at that point, I got the opportunity to come in and and help TI, um, you know, begin a medical device business, yeah. 
which was the first time they had they had done something like that. Cool. And that's become a, a, a fun story in itself. So. Well, I want to transition to, to Well Aware and your co-founding and your success there. Before we do, just a couple of questions looking back. Um, do you remember the first time you started managing people? I'm, I'm sure it was probably at TI. And, you know, what were some of the early lessons you, you achieved through that uh, responsibility? The first time I started managing people was in that first job at yeah, TI. Right. So I was probably in my... Um, mid twenties. They throw and, you in the pool. Yeah. They throw you in there pretty quick. And, yeah. you know, I, I learned a lot, Brant. And what I learned was it's not at all about me. And mm. so, um, I, I felt like it was, I felt like I had to be more than I, uh, I actually was, I had to project myself more than I was. Uh, and I just didn't, I didn't listen to people. Mm. I didn't treat yeah. people the way, uh, people wanted to be treated. And so I heard, I learned a lot of lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think things were that negative um, just because I'm a pretty collaborative and competitive person. But I, man, looking back, so many things I could have done better. And so I was really humbled, you know, in the fact that kind of realizing it's not about me, it's about others. And, right. and I think that was one of my, one of my biggest lessons and yeah. some of my first managerial opportunities. That's awesome. And, and, you know, we always have had good bosses, but there's always some tormentors along with the mentors. <laughs> so I like to refer to them at times. If you, if you look back at some of those years, you know, what were some of the, some of the best takeaways, you know, not necessarily from, from great behavior, but maybe things that you saw and said, you know, I never want to be treated that way. It sounds like you shared a little bit of that, obviously with the, with your first startup, but is there anything else uh, that you kind of picked up along the way and said, boy, you know, I'm never going to, I never want to catch myself doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I would say core value alignment is, yeah. is critical, yeah. like we talked about before. But Absolutely. the other thing is, yeah, sometimes it's hard to explain and even understand why things happen in business. Mm. And, um, you know, I had a particular situation happen to me where I was I was passed over, if you will, for mm. a promotion. And yeah. and I just, man, I could not understand mm. why that would be the case. I felt very betrayed by it. Yeah. Um, this but, was at, at your, during your TI years. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was at yeah. my TI yeah. days, yeah. during my TI days. And, you know, I, I took it very personally. And, mm. I, and I think the lessons I looked, you know, I took out of that, Brant, were, you know, look, things happen for a reason. God's ultimately in control. Yeah. And I was not thinking about it in, in that, that moment, yeah. in yeah. that respect. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, um, I should have been very happy. I should have been very humble. I mm. should have been very gracious to the person that got the promotion. Mm. And instead, I ended up dealing with some bitterness that, Bitter. resentment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. and resentment that took, took me a little while to, mm. to kind of work through. Sure. Um, sure. So, yeah, I think it's funny. Uh, it's hard to project on someone else. I think anytime I try to do that, I always learn something more about myself. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that was... Uh, things happen in big companies for reasons that that's right. sometimes you you are hard see, to understand. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. what I've learned is to control the things you can control. Right. And right. for me, that's myself. Mm. You know, so if, if I can't learn and lead and get better with myself, I can't, you know, I, I really have no grounds to expect much more of others. Well, let's talk a little bit about Wellware. Um, you've been running this business for, gosh, almost eight and a half years back in January of 12. And, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do and kind of the size and scope of the business. And, and more importantly, kind of what led you to kind of go back out again on your own and uh, and found this company. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'd say this is the first time that I've ever started something on my own. Mm, and right. 
um, without a TI safety net or joining someone else and, and partnering <laughs> someone else. So right. Julie and I, Julie and I have prayed about this platform for a long time. We wanted to create a company that was about people. Mm. Um, we wanted to create a company that could do good things, not just for the people that were, you know, team members of the company, but also for our shareholders, our community that we serve, right. our customers, right. et cetera. So it was really a uh, de novo kind of opportunity to start from scratch in mm. that sense. Uh, the actual idea to start Well Aware really came from the fact that I do live in Texas. Um, <laughs> Texas is very much you know, known for oil and gas. Yep. Um, although it's a tough time right now, that industry will absolutely well, come back yeah, and it yeah. will, it will uh, endure. It always has. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, that's the culture behind it. But uh, Julie's family is, is from a ranching family in, in uh, West Texas. Her mm. dad's a fourth generation rancher and they have oil and gas production on their ranch. And so as a problem solver and as a technologist, I was always intrigued by the fact that the production side of the business, where you're actually extracting the hydrocarbons from the ground, there's a bunch of guys in trucks running around and checking on wells. And I thought, wh where is technology? Why mm. is this not being done in an automated way? Interesting. Uh, from the, the landowner perspective, we were having our roads torn up. We were having our gates knocked down. We were having our cattle hit. And, wow. and you just kind of wonder... Why is this happening? Yeah, that doesn't need and to happen. Every time yeah, we're on, right. every time I'm on the ranch, there's three or four of these guys lined up in trucks with their windows down, kind of talking to each other. So, mm. you know, we started well aware around production efficiency back in 2012, 2013, right. when production efficiency didn't matter. Why? Mm. Because the price of oil was a hundred dollars a barrel. Yeah, yeah. And so, and for those that are uh, listening, it's about twenty bucks now. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so very so, different universe back then. <laughs> now, what it says about a guy who starts a, a production efficiency company when the price of oil is a hundred, I'm not sure. It, it says that. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, there's foresight, divine intervention. Yeah, it was foresight. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's how the company started, and uh, yeah. was very fortunate to uh, recruit some people. Yeah. To, to help with the company, but also to help back the company out of the gate. And how many employees now and, and what's kind of your span of operations? Yeah. So we have about um, over a hundred oh. full-time, part-time employees. Yeah. Um, and we operate in pretty much every major oil and gas basin mm. uh, across the United States. We've got some international deployments as well. Um, we're on thousands and thousands of wells out there. Mm. And are are really focused on helping operators become more profitable. Which you you, you do data collection basically, right? And, and we help do them data collection. We and do understand. Yeah, we do data collection, but we take it a step further. So mm. we we help them understand how to save money in their operations, how to produce more with less. Mm. Um, we we show customers how to achieve outcomes around extending the useful life of their infrastructure, which is very expensive out there. So it started with getting data. And now it's moved into transitioning and transforming that data into financial, operational, and you know, environmental, social governance outcomes. And uh, that's what our customers are much more interested in huh. in purchasing. So, Matt, um, you know, you, you talked earlier about the importance of core values and how, you know, in one of your earlier companies that was misaligned. So, you know, how is Christ involved in, in WellAware? And do you consider yourself a faith-based business? And, you know, how does that all work? And, and how does that play to your success? Yeah, it absolutely has underpinned everything we've mm. done. And 
Um, you know, we're, we're not exclusively a Christian or a faith-based company, although everybody that comes to work, since I interview everyone, that's part of the story I get to share with them as to um, how my faith has, has mm. defined me. And, and yeah. you know, um, we don't push anything on anyone. In fact, we have people of all faiths, walks, um, right. and backgrounds here. But it absolutely underpins uh, the way we operate, the core values with which operate. So, um, you know, our mission, which has evolved and it's evolved into something I'm very excited about. Obviously we, we go out into the field and practically what we do, Brant, is we, we get, we capture information from things that are out there, wellheads, motors, compressors, gensets, you name it. Our mission is to connect people to the things that matter. Mm. And so that's obviously going to apply into the business setting, but it's really got a double meaning for us, for me personally, which is uh, ultimately to share, you know, what my ultimate hope and, and faith is, you know, where it lies, which is in Christ Jesus. And so mm. hopefully if we can connect people to those things that matter, um, th- they'll be appreciative and in a much better place for it. That's awesome. Um, I heard it said recently, I think, I think it was Mike Sharrow, the, the CEO of our C12 group, that, you know, CEOs founders or perhaps uh, guys that are more my age and have well-established businesses and careers are used to kind of having their answers, you know, uh, their questions answered rather, right? You know, in terms of do this, do that, why is this not happening? But aren't very comfortable in terms of having their answers questioned. What's it like in your culture? And do you have one where, again, um, you know, you've got a, a pretty interactive group as it relates to, you know, who's got the best information? Absolutely. We, I mean, we try to to foster, you know, a culture, culture of trust and mm. transparency. Um, one of my favorite authors is Patrick Lencioni. And oh, yeah. uh, I'm a big he advantage guy. He comes up a lot in these, for, in these podcasts, I have to tell you. <laughs> well, you know, look, for, for every CEO that's out there trying to, to learn it and not wanting to reinvent the wheel. Right. Uh, He's boy, a good place to go. He just makes it easy. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. just a playbook that you can lift and, and right. place. And so... So yeah, we use we use Lencioni for for a lot of our organizational help, and um, that underpins a lot of our culture. And, and so mm. we try to facilitate a culture of transparency, openness, trust. Um, it's you know we encourage people to discuss, debate, disagree, but once we align on a path and on a um, you know a, a common goal, no matter what your position was, you all agree to do it. And so right. um, it, it's it's been. Uh, it's been a great journey. I would not say it's perfect by mm-hmm. any stretch. It's like anything that's that's evolving over time, but it's really informed our core values, which are to innovate, to remain resolute, and you know to continue to collaborate. And yeah. so yeah. those are the things that you know I think uh, underpin Wellaware's culture, and you know that that we try to anchor back into when we're having hard discussions when right, there's disagreements right. that happen. And um, we, we, we encourage that disagreement and we encourage that frank conversation, but we all agree that at the end of the day, we're going to align and move forward. And that requires a great deal of trust. It doesn't sound like you have to be the smartest guy in the room. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm very much looking around going, how in the world did I get 
in this room, <laughs> all these smart people. So um, one of my rules of thumb is is always try to recruit people that are more talented than I am. And I will mm. say I've been very successful in doing that. So <laughs> That's good to hear. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, man? Well, I mean, look, I, again, stealing another um, playbook out of Lencioni's stack here. I, I love the ideal team player, right? Mm. So we look for people who are smart. And when we say smart, they're, they've got both EQ and IQ. Right. Uh, IQ is easy to test for and look for. Right. EQ is a little bit more difficult. But sure um, yeah. look, here's the deal. You can't teach EQ. That's so right. you either have it or you don't. Right. Uh, so we look for smart people. We look for people who are hungry. You know, So do they have that passion? Do they have that drive? Are they ready to hit the field every single day? You know, Can they take a setback and come back stronger the next day? Again, not something that I've figured out how to teach. Mm. So we just, in the, in the interviewing process, we really get focused on, you know, does this person just have an internal motor, a fire inside? And, you know, lastly, and very, very hard to find that combination where you've got the fire inside, but you've got somebody that's humble and somebody that's willing to give credit to others. Mm. So yeah, just smart, Hungry and humble are the three things that we look for. And when we do find that combination, which frankly is pretty hard to go after and and get, uh, we've been very successful uh, with those folks contributing to our team. It's a tried and true formula. Yeah, I've, we've, I've certainly heard a lot on the show. Well, Matt, time's just flown by, but we do have one last question we ask all of our CEO guests. And that's what, kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone who has their eyes on the corner office, maybe at their own, you know, Texas Instrument equivalent at this stage of their career, or, or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like you and found their own company someday? Gosh, I, I've learned so much from so many great people over the years and <clears throat> don't take credit for any of it. You know, <laughs> I, I have one um, I have one quote written on my, my whiteboard mm. and it should be from Jesus because he's got the best quotes out there, but it's not, it's, it's from this guy that was decent in baseball named Babe Ruth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it basically says, um, it's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Mm. And so, um, what I've found in building companies is you just have to last, you have to keep grinding. Right. And, and so, you know, that's one of the things that I would just encourage people that either, you know, are building companies or thinking about building companies is it's usually not easy to do. Mm. So make sure you're at a great stage of life where you can do it. Make sure you set expectations accordingly and uh, both with your loved ones and yourself that it's going to be hard. The other thing I would say um, that, that was shared with me that I thought was just great advice is if you want to lead people well. You have to learn to lead yourself first. Mm. And so true. You know, that's just the daily discipline for me of being in the word every day, being prayerful, thinking about others. Mm. Um, you know, how can I help serve others today? Taking care of my physical body, you mm. know, because if you're not in a great physical place, it, it always translates into uh to your your mental capacity. Right. Uh and you know. And, and just really loving those around you, your friends, your colleagues, and being genuine about it. So um, that was some great advice that was mm. shared with me. And the, the last thing that I just loved, I hadn't heard this until recently, believe it or not, but it's, it's so true. Yeah, it, practice like you've never won and play mm. like you've never lost. 
And mm. and so I think wow, when I, like I when we hit the field, when we're in front of customers, I mean, you you gotta when you get ready for a customer meeting, and customers are what make the world go round for the business setting. You gotta practice like you never want a deal. That's you know, right. How are we gonna yeah. win this next deal? Right. But when you get right. in front of that customer. You got to give them the confidence yeah. that you're going to deliver for them, right? So, it, you know, for, for like me, that. it's it's been a uh, it's been a great lesson that, that one of my mentors recently shared with me. So, well, Matt Harrison, co-founder and CEO of Wellware, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brad, thanks for having us. I hope some of the things we've talked about will be helpful to others, and it's been wonderful getting to know you and getting to know your business as well. So, thanks for having us. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.